Good morning, Miss Yo. The scripture this morning comes from Mark 6, 14 through 44. Herod the king heard about these things because the name of Jesus had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work through him. Others were saying, he is Elijah. Still others were saying, he is a prophet like one of the ancient prophets. But when Herod heard these rumors, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised to life. He said this because Herod himself had arranged to have John arrested and put in prison because of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother Philip. Herod had married her, but John told Herod, it's against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias had it in for John. She wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. This was because Herod respected John. He regarded him as righteous, as a righteous and holy person, so he protected him. John's words greatly confused Herod, yet he enjoyed listening to him. Finally, the time was right. It was on one of Herod's birthdays when he had prepared a feast for his high-ranking officials and military officers and Galilee's leading residents. Herod's daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, thrilling Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the young woman, ask me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Then he swore to her, whatever you ask, I will give to you, even as much as half of my kingdom. She left the banquet hall and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, Herodias replied. Hurrying back to the ruler, she made her request. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a plate right this minute. Although the king was upset because of his solemn pledge and his guests, he didn't want to refuse her, so he ordered a guard to bring John's head. The guard went to the prison, cut off John's head, brought his head on a plate, and gave it to the young woman, and she gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came and took his dead body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. He said to the apostles, come by yourself to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and it's already late in the day. Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, you give them something to eat. But they said to him, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months pay and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, they said, five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to see all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate until they were full. They filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About 5,000 had eaten. Amen. Thank you, Lo. Well, again, welcome everyone. It's so good to have you here. Uh, We are in a series right now entitled Party Crasher. And what we're doing is we're looking at the very real parties that Jesus attended, hosted, and sometimes unceremoniously crashed. 
And what we're seeing throughout this conversation and throughout this series of very real, very genuine parties that Jesus went to, what we're learning is that Jesus really liked to party. Jesus liked to party, and Jesus loved to tell stories about parties. In the book of Luke, which is where we're spending most of our time throughout this series, there's 10 actual party stories where Jesus actually attends a party. And that doesn't even include the moments where Jesus talks about parties. Like in Luke 15, where Jesus tells three beautiful parables that all center around celebration, rejoicing, and partying. Parties are essential to the understanding of Jesus, to the work of Jesus, to the way Jesus conceptualizes what he's doing in the world. He loves to party, and he loves to talk about parties. And the reason is, the reason these parties are so essential to Jesus, the reason these parties keep showing up again and again throughout the story, is because parties have a way of revealing to us what God is like. Jesus' parties have a way of revealing to us what our God is like. So when Jesus hangs out with outcasts and sinners, we are seeing a picture of what our God is like. And last week when we see Jesus at a dinner table confronting the arrogance and pride of religious leaders, we are seeing what God is like. This is why Jesus, on his last moment with his disciples, gives them a party and says, hey, keep celebrating, keep gathering at a table, keep having a meal. Why? Because when you do, you declare my story. You've seen me party, you've heard me talk about parties, you've watched me go to parties with the least likely of people. And so when you gather, just keep doing that thing to tell my story, to declare the goodness and good news of me. Jesus' parties reveal what God is like. So far throughout our series, we've looked at two party stories. In the first, Jesus attends a party with tax collectors or cultural outsiders, people who have been rejected and excluded and are rarely, if ever, invited to insider parties. But then last week, we looked at a party that's almost entirely the opposite of that, where Jesus goes to an event with cultural insiders. It's religious elites. It's Simon, who is a Pharisee, who invites Jesus into his home to have a meal. And it is a party of insiders and reputable folks. And Jesus parties with both, which is the beauty of Jesus. He shows up at both kinds of parties. But both of these parties were hosted by others. In the first one, it's Levi, the tax collector, and then in the second, it's Simon, the Pharisee. But today, we get our first party that Jesus hosts. Jesus is throwing his own party in this moment, and it's a very famous story. It's the feeding of the 5,000, probably one of Jesus' most famous miracles of all. In each gospel, because this moment is such a substantial one in the life of Jesus, each gospel records a version of the feeding of the 5,000. But two of the gospels do something very interesting. In both Matthew and in the gospel of Mark, they take Jesus' party and they place it right after another party. Which Lowe read for us this morning, it is the party that Herod throws. 
And I think that is a fascinating choice on behalf of Matthew and Mark, to place these two very different kinds of parties back to back in the gospel story. It's sort of like these gospel writers are showing us that there is different kinds of parties available to us. That there is different ways to throw a party. There is different ways to host a party. There is different kinds of parties to attend. Some parties look like Herod's, which is exclusive and dangerous and leaves people feeling empty. And then there is another way to throw a party, where it is for a large group of humans, where everybody comes and gets fed and leaves satisfied. There is different ways to host a party, to throw a party, to celebrate. I think it's interesting that the gospel writers put these two stories back to back because it feels like it asks us a set of questions about the kind of parties that we throw and host and celebrate. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at both of these parties. Jesus' party that he hosts and Herod's party that he hosts. And I want to ask us four questions as we walk through these two parties. Four questions I think will help get at some other deeper truths. And here's the first one. What is the purpose of the party that Herod and that Jesus throws? Question two, who is invited to these different parties? Three, how are the guests treated? at the party? What happens to them when they go? You know, we've all been to parties that are good, and then we've all been to parties that are not so good, and you're like, I don't love being here. (laughs) So how are the guests treated when they are at the party? And finally, maybe the most important question, how do the guests leave the party? Do they leave feeling loved and welcomed and celebrated and like they had an encounter with something good, or do they leave feeling empty? How do the guests leave the party? I think as we wrestle with these questions, hopefully it will help us answer the most important one of all, which is what kind of party is Jesus hosting? If Jesus' party reveal what God is like, what does his party reveal about our God? What kind of party is God throwing? What kind of party has God thrown? What is God like? What is God up to in the world? Is it like Herod's? Because the truth is, sometimes the way we talk about God's party, it does sound like Herod. Or is it like the one we see Jesus throw? So, let's dive into question number one. What is the purpose of these two parties? To answer this question, it might be helpful to just have a bit of context. Herod is the current ruler of Galilee, the region that Jesus is in, under Roman occupation. So he's like a puppet king serving at the pleasure of Rome. Now, he's not the Herod from earlier parts of the biblical story, the more famous Herod who, like, hunts for Jesus in his birth story. This is Herod, that Herod's son. When Herod the Great dies, he divides his kingdom into four parts, and Herod Jr. gets one-fourth of it. So this is that. Herod Jr., he leads one-fourth of Herod the Great's empire. And we learn some very interesting things about Herod and, let's say, his uh, relationship to other humans. 
throughout this story because Herod has a very strange relationship to other humans. And here's what I mean. Herod was originally married, but his wife leaves him because he marries his sister-in-law, who also might be his niece, depending upon how the historical evidence goes. (laughs) Eyes are just like... So he's originally married. His wife leaves him because he marries his sister-in-law, and it will just continue to get weirder from them. He wanted to be king over the whole region so desperately that he would regularly petition Rome to be put in charge until finally he annoyed them so badly they exiled him to Gaul. Gaul is in Europe, which is a very far distance from Galilee. He annoyed himself into isolation. So what you have in this person named Herod is a, a person who is totally interested in his own ends. He's a person who is coming from wealth and privilege and power, and he uses all of it, spends all of it to try to get and accumulate more. He sees a woman that he loves, and even though they're related, he's like, nah, I'll take her. He sees a greater empire, and even though he already has one, he's like, nah, I will spend everything I have to get more. He wastes his whole self, his whole life on trying to accumulate more until his desire for more eventually isolates him into obscurity. Herod is a person who is solely consumed with his own career. I think that's important because then Mark tells us what the purpose of his party is. In Mark 6, verse 21, this is what Mark says. It says, An opportunity came for Herod on his birthday. So he gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. I think that word opportunity really describes the purpose of Herod's party. It is an opportunity for him to get more. It is an opportunity for him to achieve his own ends, for him to put his own agenda, his own purposes above everyone else. And as we continue to read the story, we realize that's why everyone is at the party. They are all hoping to get their own. Herod, to fulfill his own desires, he wants that so much that as the story goes on, he'll let his own niece slash stepdaughter dance for him and the leading men of the region. The nobles enter to appease this king, and we even learn that Herodias, Herod's sister-in-law, wife, this is going to get confusing real fast, wants to kill John the baptizer. Everybody enters with an agenda. Everybody enters with their own purpose. Everybody enters hoping to get their own. It's about opportunity. Now contrast that with the story that comes immediately after. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. It says that Jesus and his disciples, after a long day of teaching, were heading to a desolate place to rest, but crowds continued to gather with him and around them as they tend to do. And how does Jesus respond? Mark 6, verse 34, he says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Where Herod's party is about the opportunity to get more, Jesus's is about having compassion on those who have come to him. 
And Jesus uses this language where he says they are like sheep without a shepherd, which is a really interesting phrase because shepherd in Israel's language is a metaphor for leadership. It's the primary one they use throughout the Old Testament, how they think about kings and priests and the leaders of their people. They're supposed to be like shepherd. Herod was supposed to be Israel's shepherd, supposed to lead them and guide them into green pastures to help them find places of rest. We read Psalm 23 as our call to worship. And the repeated refrain of that psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd who leads me into hospitable spaces. This is the invitation for the leaders of Israel. And the prophet Ezekiel has a really good definition of what a shepherd is supposed to be. It's actually kind of a criticism of the shepherds of the day, but I think it's a beautiful description. He says this. This is the prophet Ezekiel writing in the ancient world. He says, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourself. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back you, the lost you have not sought. With force and harshness you have ruled them. When Jesus says that these people are like sheep without a shepherd, he is making a direct accusation against the leadership of Israel around him, Herod and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Instead of leading people into hospitable, warm, green pastures, they have exercised their power in coercive, selfish ways. He said, your table, your party, it should have been about healing and feeding and strengthening and seeking the lost. And instead, you have made it a place for your own interests. Instead of being an opportunity for compassion, it has been an opportunity for you to get your own. So what is the purpose of Jesus' party? It is to have compassion to create a place of genuine hospitality that offers rest. Whereas Herod's is a party for himself and his own advancement. That leads to the second question. Who is invited to the two different parties? Who does the invitation go out to? There's two parties on offer. Who gets to come? Well, in verse 21, we get a pretty clear definition of who gets to come to Herod's party. It says, verse 21, Herod gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. Herod's party is exclusive. It is for only a few, and those few are the powerful who can invest in Herod's own interests. But contrast that to Jesus' party. Verse 33, it says that many see Jesus and run towards him. Verse 34, a great crowd forms around him. And it says that Jesus feeds them. Verse 44 around 5,000 men, which is probably speaking to heads of households, so we could be anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people are at this gathering with Jesus. This contrast is so massive between these two parties. Herod's is this like well-curated event. There's like a small table. There's a few hand-selected guests. It's well-curated. Everybody probably looks nice. And then Jesus is this like ragtag, ragamuffin, roughly thrown together that somehow accidentally 15,000 people show up at. What a, it's like a festival. And I think it leads us to ask a really important and interesting set of questions. It's not going to sound like it, but I promise it is. Which is, how does Jesus do math 
You ever think about that? Like, just like, you know, how good at math was Jesus? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I think it's pretty bad. But here's what I mean. Herod's logic, in terms of who he invites to the party and the kind of party he throws, is normal in many ways. You invite to your house people you like, people who are like you, people who are in your inner circle, people who can advance your own interests. And also, you can only invite a few people because you only have seats for a few people and money to provide for a few people. I was at a little party last night, and there was like nine of us. If 15,000 people had showed up, there just would not be enough chicken to go around, you know? Would have really thrown the whole thing for a loop. That's the normal way we think about hosting and celebrating and parties, is we invite enough people that we can provide for, that we have seats for. In many ways, this is the same logic the disciples are operating out of when they see that 15,000 people have shown up to be with Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, they're hungry and we don't have anything to feed them. What should we do? And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're like, there's no way to do that. The math is wrong, Jesus. We don't have that much money. We gave up all of our stuff to follow you into the wilderness. We don't have that much money, so send them away. That's the wise, logical, economic decision here. There's a math problem. Jesus, I know you're a carpenter. You should be able to count better than this. You feed them. But Jesus somehow does math very differently than we do. He sends the disciples out to see what resources they have, and they find five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, yeah, that'll do. And from it makes food for five to 15,000 people. Where everybody sees generosity as a loss, Jesus always sees it as more. Where everybody around Jesus sees generosity as a sacrifice that will take from them, where everybody sees including more people at the table as a loss that will cost them something, Jesus always seems to see it as creating more. That where we see giving away money or privilege or power or position as a cost to ourselves, Jesus always seems to do math differently and see it as a multiplication, not a subtraction equation. That when we pick up our cross to follow Jesus, somehow something more is made in the process. I think the hardest part for us about the table that Jesus invites us to, the party that Jesus is throwing, is that it just operates off of a different math than we do. Jesus' table is not simply about being kinder, though that's important. It's not simply about, like, doing some work in our own hearts that we can, like, have people around, though that's important. Jesus' math and Jesus' table is about seeing the world entirely differently. To see that giving actually creates more, that adding seats at the table isn't a loss to the food in the cabinet, but somehow a better gift to be celebrated than whatever was taken. It is about seeing an entirely different vision, 
seeing that generosity and sharing and welcoming is actually a way of multiplying. Jesus believes the more, the better. But at Herod's party, and often the parties that we've been invited to and the ones that we throw, and sometimes even the ones that our religious traditions look like, are unfortunately like Herod's where less is better. Because it costs too much to have more. But Jesus says your math is wrong. That leads to question number three. How are the guests treated at the party. So Jesus' party, it is an open invitation where a few can turn into 15,000. But how are those guests treated at Herod's party and at Jesus' party? Well, Mark includes some very fascinating details about Herod's party that help us understand a bit about what happens to the guests who attend this party. And it is not good, to say the least, At Herod's party, the guests are dehumanized. So the first thing that we see happen is that Herodias, who, just as memory serves us, is Herod's sister-in-law wife, it says that she wants John the baptizer's head. But then we get this really interesting detail that I, I like about Herod. It says that Herod likes John. He's afraid of him, but he likes him. This is what it said. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, but he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. I, I just love this like, addition about Herod. Like He's kind of a bad dude throughout this whole text, but he also kind of likes John. So when we try to reduce somebody's story, the Bible always expands it back out again for us. So Herod has been trying to keep John in this like controlled environment. He's in jail, but he's safe. He's silenced, but his head's still attached for the moment being. But Herodias, his sister-in-law wife, does not like John the baptizer. Because he's been speaking truth to Herod and Herodias about this relationship that they are in. So on Herod's birthday, Herodias sees an opportunity to get what she wants. So she sends her daughter, Herod's niece slash stepdaughter, into the party to dance for a group of grown men. And Herod is so enthralled by this event that she, he tells her she can have anything she wants. And she asks for John's head because of her mom, but then adds this strange addition on a platter. And Herod gives in. The text says he doesn't want to, but because of the admonition of the guests around him and the pressure of having made this offer to her publicly, he gives in. And so John is killed, beheaded. His head is put on a platter and offered to Herodias. These details are so fascinating. Because oftentimes Mark won't include that many details in the story. He's kind of like summarizing big chunks of text. And he includes all these details in this moment. And I feel like what we leave with is this understanding that nobody leaves this party looking very good. And if you were there, I imagine nobody leaves this party feeling very good either. 
Everybody leaves complicit. Everybody leaves carrying shame. Everybody leaves having witnessed and participated in something horrific and abusive. Everyone leaves this party reduced. Their humanity has been reduced. Everyone has been objectified, used, exploited, and made less of. Even Herod's good intentions towards John get wrapped up into the party and turned into something cruel. And even Herodias and her daughter, who in some level are victims of Herod, are still used and complicit in this story. So how are people treated at Herod's party? Well, they are dehumanized, subsumed, consumed, and John is killed altogether. And that leads to the fourth question about Herod's party specifically, which is how do the guests leave the party? The powerful, they leave empty and complicit, and John does not leave at all. This stands in such stark contrast to Jesus' party, where the guests are not simply treated to an abundant meal, but they are treated to communion with the living God. The verbs that show up when Jesus feeds the 5,000 are very familiar ones. It says that Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread and the fish. Those same four verbs will show up at another meal that Jesus hosts. One with just his disciples around the table, where Jesus, again, takes, blesses, breaks, and gives the bread to his disciples. Signs and gestures of the ways in which he himself will be broken and given to them. Symbols and expressions of the way that he will, at cost to himself, make space for them to dwell. So that they may come to the table of the living God and be satisfied. Not as a reduction of their humanity, but as an expression of it in fullness. Jesus' party treats guests exactly the opposite of Herod's party. Instead of reducing or rejecting, it extends at cost to Christ himself, fullness and life. And how do the guests leave the party? Well, the text ends by saying, and everyone who was there left satisfied. It's very different than how people left or did not leave Herod's party. Jesus' party, they are given more. They have an encounter with the living God who at cost to himself makes space for them to be satisfied. To receive their invitation at the table where they belong with him. Mister, we have two different parties on offer to us all the time. Herod's party and Jesus' party. Herod's party is an exclusive affair based upon opportunity, what you can get and what others can get for you, and it leaves the guests empty. But Jesus' party is an open invitation based on compassion that actually sends us full. 
I think as a church, it leads us to ask ourselves a handful of really important questions. But the one that I think is worth wrestling with today is what kind of party are you living and inviting others to participate in? The last night that Jesus is with his disciples, he gives them a meal and says, do this in remembrance of me. Are you doing Herod's meal or Jesus' meal in remembrance? What kind of party does our practice and our worship and our life invite others into? Theologian Letty Russell has this beautiful quote where she says, We have seen over and over and over again that the witness of the church is rooted in a life of hospitality. When communities who have sought to gain identity behind particular walls find themselves broken open by the gospel invitation. Missio, Jesus wants to break open our community, our own lives, with the gospel invitation of hospitality. For us to experience that good news ourselves and then to become extensions of that good news to the world around. So what party are you living, responding to, and inviting others to participate in? What party have you responded to? What party are you living? What party do you want to live? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your table. That it is laid anew for us every single day. That it costs you yourself, you have made a space for us to belong. It's not an exclusive invite for only the elite or only the religiously okay or only those who are inside the club, but it is an invite for all of us to come and have a meal in the presence of the living God where we will be transformed and healed and made whole. God, today would we respond to your table invitation? Would we receive the gift of yourself and in response, become a people who extend your goodness and your table to the world around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.